Hi, this is Larry Pasca, Executive Director of NCSS, the National Council for the Social Studies. This episode features an author published in an NCSS journal. Please enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators and the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. live from sunny Chicago. Sunny, I mean, at least I'm glad the sun still exists because otherwise it'd be really, really cold. I mean, it is, it's chilly here. It was snowing quite a bit when I came down. I think that's why my flight was delayed. Yeah, well, so we don't usually record live together in other places. That's so, true. Yeah, so what, what's going on here, Michael? We are at KUFA, which is exciting. What does KUFA stand for? KUFA is the College and University Faculty Assembly which many people agree gives you not a lot of information on what it actually is, but it's of the National Council for the Social oh, Studies. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we were at the big social studies conference, the higher ed research arm, which is a lot of the people we talk to on the podcast, That's right? true. I went to a session this morning and every single person was on our podcast. Right. And I could have just shouted out, you're on episode 14, you're on episode 17. <laughs> but I thought that would be annoying. So this is, this is going to be a pretty fun session because we are in a room full of people right now. That's true. Yeah. And so what's going on? So we actually are very excited to have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine book editor, sorry, nine journal and book editors here on our podcast, which is kind of crazy. And it got me thinking, what would, what would happen if we put you all in a house and reported yeah. you? This is the true story of nine editors picked to be on a panel and have that panel podcasted. Find out what happens when editors stop being polite and start getting real. The real world, social studies education. I like it, I like it. I think that's, I, hopefully this isn't as dramatic as the real world. It did get pretty dramatic there. Yeah, I'm wondering who's the puck on the panel. That's like the only character. <laughs> that's actually we talked before and that is who we came up with. Yeah, we agreed, you might be. So we're gonna get either puck on level two or puck on level 10. I remember he said that from like my childhood. That is. <laughs> Maybe we should get to some more specific stuff about why we're recording this episode. And so the reason we're here is we're talking to people who edit journals and who edit a lot of the book series in our field and you know journals have a, a long history in the field because previously it was hard to get all this information right like I so, so yeah and so how do you get the knowledge of a disciplinary field that's doing work and so you have to bundle it up in some way and so journals were a way to take that information put them out and then you literally mailed them to people which is Oh, still, wow. We still do. I still really? Get, I still get a hard copy. I dream of getting hard copies. I don't know if these journal editors actually go and mail them out themselves or not. Maybe we'll learn that today. I guess I guess we will. <laughs> and so it's always been a way. Now, the interesting thing is we have a lot of recent developments in this the, uh, World Wide Web. Oh, right. Yeah. Which makes, I guess, getting journal articles a lot easier. Except for me, <laughs> who I have to ask everyone, could you please get send them. me an article? Oh, maybe that's something we'll talk about today. So it's an interesting thing about the changes in our society the changes in technology that allow us to access information in our field and what difference it makes for our field. So that's the conversation we're gonna to have today. That is the conversation. And so we have a lot of people from different journals today. I'm just gonna give you a smattering of them. 
Theory and Research in Social Studies Education, the Journal for Social Studies Research, the Oregon Journal for the Social Studies, Social Studies Journal, Social Studies Research and Practice, <laughs> Social Studies of the Young Learner and Psych, Research in Social Education. So if you could do me a big favor, uh, panelists, if you could, in an elevator pitch, can you introduce your journal or book series and what makes it unique? Okay, I'm Ken Carano. I am with the Oregon um, Journal of the Social Studies, not Oregon. Oh, yeah, that is a freak. Just gave yourself away that you're not from Oregon. Yes. Um, so what what makes us unique are is that is we're a state regional journal, unlike everybody else. So we're just a small operation. We do not mail ours out to anybody. So you'll never get that hard copy because of this interweb thing that we have. It's online journal. It's, it's free, open access to everyone. So I think that makes it um, unique as well. We try to give opportunities to new emerging emerging scholars coming on. So if you're a doc candidate and want to submit, I shamelessly have a call for manuscripts here. And if this wasn't a podcast, but it was a video, you could see this. We're doing a lot of special issues coming up. I can verify Ken's being very theatrical right now, yeah. waving his manuscripts, yeah. submission guidelines across the room. Thank you. So. I think I've got over my 30 seconds, but I will say one last thing, that we have a special issue on ethnic studies and indigenous studies coming up. So by all means, come up and get a call for manuscripts at the end. Yeah, great topics, and we've had several episodes on those topics. We had Kristen Sleeter come on and talk about ethnic studies. We've had Sarah Shear and... A few times. Yeah, a couple, a couple of times. Leilani Sabzalian and Lisa Brumby Cannon come and talk on indigenous issues. So hopefully we can make some connections with Excellent. those. Yeah, and Sarah Shear is actually co-editing. Oh, fantastic. Oh. All right, I'm, I'm Wayne Jardone. I'm editor of Theory and Research and Social Education, and Paul is an associate editor of Theory and Research and Social Education. And I'm a longtime friend of the pod. That's right. So we've worked with Dan and Michael to get TRSC authors to get on the podcast and kind of break down uh, which are pretty dense articles in, in TRSC. So to answer your question about what makes us unique, we are the official journal of Koopa. And what makes us unique is we are the typical research and theory kind of journals, so they're not necessarily easy reads, but these are the types of journal articles that really get into empirical work, detailed methodologies, and things along that, those lines. So in the real world, you'd be like the really complex person in the house, no one understands, they get reject a lot of people. I don't know which real world character <laughs> I thought it was the whole theme. Oh, of I did. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to me. If that's okay, just so I can be on the podcast for a second. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, go sorry. Ahead. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for completely avoiding me. I'm Paul Fitchett. Uh, I'm the associate editor for TRSC. Yeah, Wayne pretty much nailed it on his head. I think the other thing about TRSC that, you know, that I think makes it unique is uh, we do tend to be cutting edge in terms of the methodology that we mm -hmm. publish. I think it's also a, in a lot of ways, a great kind of stepping stone for faculty who want to really kind of push the boundaries of their empirical work. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, it's, it's a great place, and it, you know, and quite honestly, it's a hard place to publish. Mm -hmm. I think Wayne does selling that a little short, but it, it's hard to publish in TRSE because of, and we, we provide really good reviews. If you've ever uh, sent anything to TRSE, whether it was accepted or rejected, there's a tradition that goes back several years around not just providing the kind of pejorative, here's your feedback that you get you know, from the, that's generated, but also providing like a letter, a very detailed letter explaining 
why your piece needs to be revised and how you go about in doing that. And I think that goes back several years since it's the part in some way. And for anybody who's never submitted to a journal like TRSD or a lot of the journals, I mean, the process is usually that you have editors who take a look and see the yeah. appropriateness of the manuscript. And then you have reviewers who go in and try to you know, provide feedback and provide an overall opinion of the, the, where they think the, the status of the paper is for the journal. And then the editors work with that feedback to make a decision. Is that about sum it up, right? Yeah, about sums it up, yeah. Yeah, and so what Wayne does is he assigns it, he delegates. Sometimes we'll delegate depending on strengths of the associate editors and gives us pieces and then we delegate to reviewers who seem to be experts in the field on those areas. So we try as much as possible to match your journal, your topic to people who can review and provide you the best feedback possible. That's good. Yeah. All right, I'm Scott Waring, and I actually have editorial duties with four different journals. So oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, uh, I am the so you're friends with everyone in the house. Pretty much. Right? Yes. The, friendly, <laughs> the friendly character. Yes. Um, I am the interdisciplinary education editor for social studies research and practice, so Cynthia will talk about that, so we can move by that one quickly. I am the editor for social studies and the young learner. That is the National Council for the Social Studies Practitioner Journal for Pre-K-6. The unique thing about that is, is the majority of the readers tend to be in-service teachers uh, as well as teacher candidates, but then also faculty in higher ed. So it does cover the whole gamut through K-6. Another one that I edit is the Contemporary Issues in Technology and Teacher Education Social Studies. That is more theoretical and empirically based uh, journal, but it is online. So the real unique thing about that is there's not really a word count or page limit, mm -hmm. and you can be really creative. So I would welcome audio, video, other things, take take advantage of an electronic journal such as it is. And the last one that I have taken over recently is teaching with primary sources journal through the Library of Congress. Unfortunately, they haven't had an issue out for about two and a half, three years, so I urge them to allow me to take over as editor, <laughs> which I don't know why at this point. I mean, I know why, but four journals is a little much. Uh, but uh, I, I just think it's a really valuable uh, resource. So basically, it, it focuses on teaching with primary sources primarily Library of Congress primary sources, but they do welcome other outlets and, and digital repositories as well. But that should, you should see uh, two in two issues in 2019, and hopefully going quarterly in 2020. I can't believe you added four journals. Like my, you literally- you have time? Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> but I really do like Cite as a journal. It's, it's it is unique in, in the ways you said, and when I often have a piece that's a little outside the box, or I'm like, you know, we really need Tweets in this or videos or other things, I, it's neat. I kind of think of site when it deals with technology, so that's cool. Yes, and, and if it's timely, we've had that discussion before, is that's right. nice, so you can get it out and publish fairly quickly. And then obviously social studies and young learner, we feature a lot of those articles on our podcast, so and people are pretty familiar with that if they've listened to episodes. Yes, so, thank you. Hello. Hi, um, I'm Jessica Shocker at Penn State Berks. And I'm the editor of Social Studies Journal, which is a peer-reviewed, open-access publication of the Pennsylvania Council for the Social Studies. It was first published in 1967, wow. but has had some years off throughout that time. I assumed editorship in uh, 2016, and Sarah Brooks, who we'll speak to you in a minute, came on board as associate editor in 2017. SSJ accepts submissions of original full-length manuscripts that focus on research and or practice in pre-K through 12 social studies education, teacher preparation, and teacher professional development. We welcome submissions from both established and emerging scholars, as well as pre-K through 12 teachers and other education professionals in the field of social studies. 
We publish two issues per year, fall and spring, and accept manuscripts on a rolling basis and by a biannual call. So I'm Sarah Brooks from Millersville University of Pennsylvania. I'm the associate editor for SSJ, and I would just add that we have a, a substantive yet expedient review process. So on the whole, we can get a decision to an author in about 45 days. And we typically ask two scholars and one practitioner to do the reviews. And, and, and that's really useful because they have very different lenses with which they look at these pieces. So we're, we are proud of being accessible to both practicing and in-service teachers, but we also have a pretty high standard that your work must be rooted in, you know, this relevant scholarships. We're often pushing authors in that direction. Mm -hmm. And one other thing I think is cool is that in three different examples, scholars, researchers wrote with students quite successfully. We have three different instances of that in three different journals. And that's, you, you need a, a cool outlet for that. So I think we can be that. And sometimes this scholar is the lead author and sometimes their grad student is actually the lead author. So it's kind of like a good foray for a grad student to you know publish with the support of their professor. That's really cool, and I like that. You, I feel like social studies journal should have been the first journal. Isn't it like the most simple name? It's straightforward. It's just social studies journal. That's how we so, got the good name. And like, I feel like social education should have just been social studies journal. So good job on picking up. They missed an opportunity. <laughs> okay, I'm with uh, Cynthia Sunnell with social studies research and practice. We are about 10 years old, and when we started, we decided to do something very avant-garde. We we're fully online, no print, fully open access. We've evolved over time. Our view is, we're called social studies research and practice because we think research should feed into practice in the real world. And that will develop some questions that then can be researched but we do see our practice articles as those from scholarly practitioners. In other words, if you've got a cool idea to do in American history, well, just because you think it's cool doesn't mean that a teacher should spend the time trying to use that idea in the classroom. What's some theory behind it? What's some evidence you have for that commitment that's going to be needed? We have the interdisciplinary feature that Scott edits. We also have a social justice feature, and we have a notable books feature. And that was started because there are lots of great children's books out there and for adolescents, but they're often used to teach reading. They're not used to teach social studies, even when supposedly they're teaching social studies. So there was this mission to show how you could use these notable books to really teach social studies, and that continues. We are having a special issue next summer on teaching about religion that Rory Tannenbaum is from Merrimack College is editing. If anybody's interested, I can give you the information for contacting him. We are also very interested in publishing some reviews of literature, but extensive reviews of literature with some depth to it. That'll be a new venture for us, but we think there's some real interest out there. We have moved over to Emerald Publishing, which is the British publishing group associated with Thomson Reuters, and it was started by a bunch of university professors. So we are part of that group now, and we are beginning to get a lot of international submissions as well, some of which are interesting and some of which are not. <laughs>
That sounds like a really diverse journal. You guys are doing a lot of different things, which sounds really cool, and, and trying to get practical things that can make change, too, in the classroom that mm -hmm. are based on evidence. That's cool. But we do publish research as well. Yes. Oh, Excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, hi, my name is Brad Maguth, uh, co-series editor with Mary Mary Felt, who can't be with us today. She's down on the beach in oh, Sanibel. Wow. Oh. That's hard. So Mary, if you're listening, it's 20 degrees up here in Chicago. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying yourself. And Mary started this book series, and it's sort of been a classic in social studies education. Gloria Ladson-Billings, Keith Barton, Walter Parker, David Kogan, they have really helped us kind of establish the series volumes. So you have established researchers that have contributed volumes to the series. And then also you have like up, like up and coming researchers doing stellar work. So for instance, Chris Martell, I don't know if Chris is out here, but I uh, just had a book published in the series, Social Studies Teacher Education, and it was just reviewed in TC Record, and a lot of professors are using it. I know LeGarrette King has a volume coming up in Black History in Social Studies that we're really excited about. But the book series is focused on research. And one of the great things, there's a lot of advantages to a book, right? To editing a book. So as a series editor, we have a contract with Information Age Publishing, and we're allowed to seek out editors that want to contribute. And I got a flyer, our flyer's in color. Um, <laughs> it cost the university probably like, I don't know, 20 bucks. I hope they're not listening, but <laughs> I know, right? I've got a flyer too, and I've got a flyer too. Everyone's just waving flyers yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. But the, book, the cool thing about the book series is it's researchers coming together to share their scholarship on a, on, a, on a particular topic. And the cool thing about books is, I mean, they're enduring, obviously, but it's a great way to network and to bring people together that are really passionate about a particular topic in the US and you know, just around the world. So there's cohesion sort of on a particular theme in social education and social studies education. So our book series, Research in Social ed uh, Education, is really focused on you know, recruiting strong editors that are committed to those conversations, uh, really pertinent issues that are happening in social education. It's great at conferences because I love when the, when the book chapter authors all come together and they have a session and you just go in the room and it's like walking around the book. Like you just get to go and walk and talk to the authors of the book. So those are always neat sessions. And another way, again, you get to know all the people within the book. So it's really neat. All right, uh, I'm Will Russell. I'm the editor of two things. First, I'll start with um, editor of a book series with Information Age called Teaching and Learning Social Studies. And it's a book series that's been around, I think, since 07 or 08. And we typically publish two books, sometimes three or four, just depends on the year, books per year. And they kind of, the topics really range with anything related to teaching and learning social studies. I don't know if Sarah and Andrea are out here or not, but they just had a book published related to elementary social studies and, and, and the controversial nature and everything that's going on there. So it's a really good book series, and if you have any questions, you can always uh, reach out to me. But the main reason I think that I was on here, because I don't think I, I think I added that one, I pulled a, <laughs> pulled a paw on you, so, is uh, I, I'm the editor-in-chief of the journal of Social Studies Research, which has been published, uh, started at the University of Georgia in, I think, 1977, and has since moved around to various universities. And I think I took it over in 2007. And since then, it's gone on to grow and expand and I think one thing that makes us unique is we are published by Elsevier 
which is a very large publishing conglomerate, and which is out of Europe. And then we, about six years ago, started trying to focus on a special issue every year, which is harder than you think to do. And if I remember correctly, Michael Burson, if he's in here, did one. Paul did one. Paul might have been the first one or the second one. Uh, I think JB was the first one. Okay. JB Mayo has done one. Garrett King, if he's in here, has done one. I saw him earlier. Hey. He's waving. (laughs) They're waving now. (laughs) Yes. um, So, Garrett's is actually coming out here hopefully in January. And uh, so that's one thing that makes our uh, our journal unique is, is the focus on providing scholars in the field an opportunity to have a focused issue at least once uh, per year on topics that are relevant and, and needed in our field. Great. I think it's great to hear from all the journals and all the different work everyone's doing. That was a lot less dramatic than I think most real world episodes. Yeah, I thought they'd be more fighting. Much more informative. And so thank you for sharing that. So we're going to go on to some other questions now. All right. So our questions, which I just threw on the ground accidentally. There we go. Who is your audience and how can you expand it? So our audience is researchers that are interested in advancing like important conversations in social education and social studies education. So for instance, we had a volume come out this year on controversial issues Mm -hmm. in teaching social studies in Turkey. So our volume is has this deep commitment to global and multicultural voices uh, and issues. And Elvin Gunnell, who edited this, this volume, brought a team of researchers together in Turkey to talk about really like pertinent issues in regards to gender in Turkey, in regards to politics, in regards to all these layers that are sort of playing out in class, social studies classrooms throughout the country. So I know our book series, Research and Social Education, that is the focus, like the focus is very much research, uh, empirical research, conceptual research. I think a lot of the journal editors have talked about kind of how we are different as well as how we are similar. So in my case, with social studies research and practice, I just want to reiterate that we really believe that research questions should lead to scholarly practice, and scholarly practice should lead to research questions. We've had some authors that have done that whole cycle. A research piece, practice-related piece, another research piece. In fact, we've had one that's had five cycles so over the years. So that's our stance. Is that primarily, so one one issue in, in teacher research, right, that people like Marilyn Cochran Smith, who yeah. we, had, we had on a previous episode of the podcast and others, have advocated for is, is teachers doing different forms of research. Or do you get many teachers who are able to find the ability, support, and time to do that, or is it primarily going to have to be uh, university professors who have that time built into their schedule, either doing it themselves or working with teachers? That's a good and an honest question. I think most of us are really making the effort to involve practitioners in terms of classroom teachers. It's very difficult for them because of the time commitments of their job. But I would say about 30% of the submissions we have have a teacher involved, which is, I think, very high. Yeah, it's great. This is Jessica speaking about SSJ. Our audience is a combination of researchers and practitioners, and we hear that a lot of methods instructors like to use pieces from SSJ with their social studies pre-service teachers because the pieces tend to be a bit of a bridge between some of the 
more in-depth research that you might find in something like TRSE, and then a, a purely practitioner journal. So it's it's kind of unique in that I think we have readership across the spectrum. It's kind of, and it's interesting to me too, as we sometimes think of them differently, because I still think of myself in many ways the same way I thought of myself as a classroom teacher some days. Like there's days in my class where I'm just trying to do good lessons as, because you know, allows us to learn content, I'm modeling the teaching I'm trying to do, but I'm wondering, it seems like in, in, in journals, it's hard to bridge that gap. It's like, we do the scholarly work, and then we have the teacher work, and what's the in-between? And, and I always, in, when I teach research classes, I always think about how there's a really good article by Elliot Eisner where he questions, when does research actually affect practice? It came out in like 1984, but I love it to kind of trouble that, because we think about when we're teachers, you know, I think about your last class you, t- you taught, how much research did you rely on? And how much like wisdom from your own practice did you rely on? And that's always an interesting idea for me, like that difference between the ideas that I've come across, the experiences, and then like actually looking at other people's research. I don't know, any idea, thoughts on like how we actually enact a lot of these ideas that, that come into journals? That's really deep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wayne, why don't you talk to us a little bit well, I might not be the best person to talk about this one because, as uh, Jessica mentioned, TRC is not necessarily something that practitioners are going to pick up and read for a variety of reasons. Uh, we are housed with Taylor and Francis, so you need a subscription to get or, or be a Koopa member. So if you want TRC, become a Koopa member. Also, even if it is sitting around, there, it's not easy reading. It's not light reading. And so uh, one thing that, not necessarily from a TRC perspective, but from a scholarly perspective, when I publish uh, an article in a journal like TRSE, I always try to make an attempt to publish an article in something like social education or the social mm-hmm. studies or a more practitioner-friendly journal because I know that most practitioners are not going to be reading TRSE. So I think it's incumbent on not just from a journal standpoint, but from us as scholars to realize that if we do, as Cynthia said, want our research to influence practice. We need to get our work in outlets where practitioners can get uh, their hands on it. Also, you know, I'll give Dan and Michael a shout out here that one thing I think that's been great is getting our TRC uh, authors on Visions of Education podcast where they can talk, you know, and take these dense TRC articles and just have a conversation about it. And I think if you, if those of you who are listening to this, obviously you're listening, to, you are aware of this, but tell your friends to download the, uh, the podcast and, and try to get it more, more people listening. So. And if you give us a five-star review, we'll read it on the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that usually goes at the end, but, but it worked there. It worked there. Yeah. I was just going to say, it might depend on what the journal is affiliated with, too. So we're closely affiliated with the Pennsylvania Council for the Social Studies. Mm-hmm. So we make out a point to have a session, Jessica and I, at our annual meeting to try to you know, increase awareness of the journal to the practitioners that are there, let them know it could be an outlet for their own work. So I think if we can maybe better connect some of the, of the work that's being produced in these journals to our you know, state organizations, that might be a way to have more of an impact on what teachers do. And really quick, one other thing that we do is we actually do an invited piece in each issue of SSJ where we reach out to a scholar, Wayne has done it for us before, who might be like be likely to publish in TRSE and we ask them to write a piece that is accessible for our audience of teachers and pre-service teachers doing exactly what you said. For some reason, as we were all, you guys were all talking, I was just thinking about um, what, what teachers could do and I wonder how many schools or social studies departments would have like some kind of community of practice where they take 
some of the articles from the field and work around with what is the, how does this apply for our department and you know them picking the things that they're interested in and going through some of the journals but I also wonder if there's some ways that we could encourage that like you know as you know put out here's the plans how you could run discussions around these articles even maybe adding questions or some materials or some things that could be helpful for that I don't know I'm thinking out loud here <laughs> great idea Oh, damn, you're so good. <laughs> we were talking about doing like a, perhaps doing like a like a TED Talk style video where authors are talking about their work and then mm -hmm. get that video into the hands of department heads so this way they can then play it for their for their teachers and then they can have a discussion. And some journals do that, right? I think Teachers College Record, if I remember right, is that the one that does videos that kind of tease up the ideas, usually like three, four minute videos, which are ways, maybe even if those were just expanded a little bit so they got a little bit more in depth, they'd be something teachers could use. So it's interesting to think about potential innovations in the field. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done one of those videos though. Yeah. They are mortifying. Yeah. Oh, are they? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I've done the podcast too, and yeah. you all do a good job of editing, and, and they do a really good job of editing because that interview couldn't have gone worse. And, it, and <laughs> they made me sound halfway intelligent. We had to do a lot of editing on Wayne. Yeah. Yeah, it actually yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, hours and hours. That's nothing we had to do the editing too. It's mostly screaming during the first 20 minutes of it. So. No, it's, you know, with the podcast, we it's a conversation we always tell people. So people in the field, you know, as they publish us in TRC, you get an automatic, you know, invitation from us. And then people don't know how to get on our podcast. Then also we, when you, the NCSS journals come on, we invite people on. And then sometimes people just have compelling ideas or are doing really cool things and we invite them on. And so we love having people on, but I think a lot of people come in feeling pretty nervous about it. And then by the end, they, you kind of forget you're doing a podcast partway through. It's easy for me to say, but. We had someone who's so nervous about doing it that she just kept putting it off and off. Yeah. But, you know. Eventually once you do it, most people. Most people are kind of fine. They're like, yeah. oh, it's actually not that bad. Right, right. It's just a discussion, just a chat. All we're doing is having a chat. So what advice do you have for potential authors to, who are submitting to your journals or book series? So first, before I start, I want to give a shout out to Cynthia and Will, because when I was a new scholar starting off, they both provided a lot of support to me. Will, in particular, was really helpful, so I just want to make that public. Man, that thank you. Respect. That's on the record. We all heard <laughs> it. I want to copy your journals. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, so a piece of advice I received a long time ago from someone, and it's so simple, but it, and it, and it might upset you when you hear it but he told me once after a couple beers just do good work and that sounds kind of silly but when you think about it if you're if you're publishing in any of these journals more than likely you've received training around methodology and support and don't go at it half to uh, I'm trying to avoid using profanity here don't go at it you know without like you know go at it full throttle you know be you know be meticulous in your methodology. Think about the research questions you're asking and be sure that the journal is a good fit for what you're trying to do. One of the things that we find in TRSE a lot is that we'll get folks whose study on, was it math? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we received one, Wayne talked about our math education to TRSE. Um, it's just it's not a good fit. I mean, that's an obscure one, but like, you know, you know look and see what the journals, what, what, they, what they expect. Really concentrate on your research question, your methodology. Be sure that you are representing your theoretical framework or your conceptual framework in an appropriate way. And I think to the point, the last question around accessibility is that what you know, is a, rather than doing the sh uh, shoulds and musts in your implication in your discussion, really think about 
the practicality, you know, what do these results mean for the field? Really concentrate on the so what. So that's a lot, but you know, it's basically just doing good work. I think, and I think with that, one thing I'll add is I'm looking at the published articles. That's always like I, when I first started writing, I just kind of looked like, okay, what are they doing in this program? I just like copied the format, like right, and just wrote my article in a similar format. So looking at what the journal, the way they structured it, their published articles was, was helpful to me. Yeah, I was going to piggyback already, but that was one of the things that I was going to mention. But along those lines, read the guidelines, understand what the expectations are. But keep in mind that a quick example: social studies and young learner. They do publish in Chicago, and I didn't think that was the most natural writing style for potential authors. So I've had some discussions in CSS, and they will allow me to accept an APA. So keep in mind that even though you look at the finished product, it's in Chicago, look at the guidelines, because I will accept manuscripts in both APA and Chicago when you submit, and then the final editing will be done by NCSS and converted to Chicago. That is amazing for anyone. I did not know that. Yes. Like, I feel like there should be like a round of applause. <laughs> anyone who's ever had to reformat their journal, it's like two hours of your life you never get back. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, Oregon Journal of Social Studies. First off, Scott, I'm now going to send you something in APA. Yes. <laughs> Instead of Chicago. I, I, speaking to new scholars out there, I would say don't be afraid to submit because the great thing is, even if you do get it turned down, you're going to get the feedback for the next go around. And that's, that's very important. Also, at least for us at the Oregon Journal of Social Studies, be, feel free to send in an inquiry. Don't send me the whole article and say, would you maybe be interested in this? But give you know an abstract. Here's an idea that I had. Is this would, would be something that you might be interested in. And also, for all of you out there and the millions of listeners on the <laughs> podcast, I take inquiries for special issues too. If you're, if there is a topic that you are not seeing that it's being, it's getting its dual credits, it's being written about, I take inquiries for that as well. Nice. I would say for social studies research and practice, we take inquiries as well, and I am interested in um, special issues. I want to second the comments relating to do look at the journal and do consider what is published because I think we all get manuscripts maybe not so much method but I will get <laughs> economic theory in India and really our readership can't apply that level of research but maybe an economics journal with economists would be very interested so those are extreme examples but I also think pay a lot of attention to the journal's limitations as well especially word limitations mm -hmm. especially qualitative researchers let me just say that trying to hone your dissertation down into a publishable article is going to be a feat of terror <laughs> as well as <laughs> interest and enjoyment but Okay, so ask me if a 60-page manuscript will be all right. And what I'll probably tell you is that readers, ex reviewers also expect shorter manuscripts, and they'll get about two-thirds of the way through, and they'll reject you because you're just not paying attention. They've gotten lost in your data. you know. So I think pay attention to those kinds of limitations as well because I think what all of us are trying to do is to strive to make your manuscript when it is published accessible in as many ways as possible and of interest and so 
we really aren't being mean. Yeah, but what about reviewer two? What's that person's problem? <laughs> yeah, well, every one of jerk, us, right? we've all got reviewer two. Yes, <laughs> true. So what I'm hearing as somebody interested is that if I have an inquiry that I'm interested in the journal, is that I can just get Ken and Cynthia in a bidding war for my great idea, <laughs> and then just put it, put the pressure back on them to win it, right? There you go. So that's how you turn it around. Or if you're a, a newly minted assistant professor, you write one article for each of them. Oh, sneaky. Just change one or two words and say, no, now just kidding, don't do, that. No, don't do that. No one do that. Get in trouble. That's self-plagiarism. Right? Yes, is that what that's right. called? Yes. Okay. And laziness is another word. This is a, like a sort of small petty thing, but I think when you when you don't get the response you want from an editor, it's kind of important that you respond to them and keep the line of communication open. So you get a you know reject but encourage resubmission to just kind of go cold on it and be obviously you are disappointed, so you got to kind of take a day to <laughs> deal with that. But really, you should they are encouraging you to come back at them with a revised manuscript. So I would say just keep that. You know, be gracious and thank people for their feedback and keep that line of communication open. I do a, whenever I'm doing revisions, I have a revisions file. And the first time through, I'm like, what do you know? And stuff like that. And yeah. then the yeah. second time through, I'm like, oh, thank yeah. you for your helpful suggestion. That's, <laughs> we've made all the changes you requested. So, you know, that's part of the process of, of <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We need some kind of recovery for, for journal rejections. You know, the one thing we were going to, I was actually just going to chime in on, like, KUFA is a great space, like AERA, that SIG is a great space. And the mentors that are in those spaces, I know I wouldn't be the researcher I am today without having mentors to help me be a better writer, to help me be a better researcher. So finding those mentors that can, uh, can, that can help you um, and give you feedback and work with you, those spaces. I was just at the Cleveland Clinic. It was a research conference. And it was really amazing to see these researcher, pediatric cancer researchers work together to have sophisticated conversations on moving lines of research forward. And it's amazing, like here at KUFA, where we can engage in these conversations to move agendas and move methods and, you know, forward. So I would say getting in those spaces and working with individuals that are doing those research or doing that research, it's huge. Yeah. Real quick, I wanted to piggyback off of what Sarah said, because she's 100% right. You know, I'll send out a decision letter where I give an author a reject, encourage, resubmission, and occasionally I'll get an author writing back just heartbroken, right? And I tell them, that's good news. Until an editor tells you no, right, you always assume that there's a possibility. And so, and I can't speak for all editors, but I, I'll speak for myself, that I find it more humane to reject something outright than to give someone hope and give a reject, encourage, resubmission, and then get it rejected after it's been reviewed. So if I give somebody reject encourage resubmission, I have a, a, a good feeling that it's got a good potential to get, eventually get published. Now, that doesn't say that, that doesn't mean that I don't ever reject something after it's been revised. But so the acceptance rate for TRC is right currently right around 10, 11%. But if you were to look at the acceptance rate after someone gets a reject encourage resubmission, it is much higher, much higher. So whenever you get a revised resubmit or reject encourage resubmission, do it, do it. Do, try to meet whatever the reviewers say. You don't have to necessarily agree with what every comment that the reviewer says, but at least acknowledge those comments and write a cover letter when you submit the, the revisions and say, I did this, I did this, I didn't do this because, right? And, you know, maybe we misinterpreted what you were trying to say. And I've got two quick, I have time for two quick pieces of advice. 
this is especially for researchers, so Will can jump in here too. I would imagine he sees the same thing with JSSR. Always think of a manuscript in a, in a straight line, right? All of your different sections within the manuscript, the in, introduction, the literature view, theoretical framework, findings, discussion, they all need to fit together. So some people will write this really detailed theoretical framework and then never revisit it. And it's just like hanging out there. Well, especially for a journal like TRSC, that's part of the way you get to that so what question. And so, you know, we kind of expect you to come back to that in the discussion and say, you know, why did I frame this manuscript this way? What, how did I analyze the data? It all should flow together. And then I'll, I'll reiterate Paul's point about answering that so what question. Don't just recap your findings in the discussion. We've already read your findings, right? We, <laughs> we want to know what you think. How does this move the field forward? Because all of these journals have a limited amount of space. We don't like writing rejection letters, but we have to because we can't publish everything. Yeah. And so you, you kind of like it. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> like writing rejection letters. I'd much rather write uh, something where it's accepted because people get excited and you know, so that, you know, with a journal that gets has 10% acceptance, I, I usually think 90% of the people think I'm an idiot. So you know, so it's nice to deal with the 10% there. But seriously, the you have to make your research stand out and show how it moves the field forward, and that's probably the biggest thing. Right. I, I am curious. Does anyone have any amazing like? Reject, you rejected an article or something, got any like amazing just emails back, or is it just a lot of test words? Or I've actually found that even when I reject someone, most of the time they write back very appreciative of the feedback. That's not a very good story. I know. <laughs> I just found out that every time you type in, you know, like um, you go on a website and like the thing pops up, and the person from the website's like, oh, how are you doing? Every time you type a word, they can actually see you as you type. Mm. So sometimes, like you're like having an issue, you're yeah, about yeah, the help desk—they see yeah. what you're typing. And so sometimes I swear, and then I go back, back, back. Yeah. But they saw that I swore at them. Yeah. I just realized that's yesterday. I had a, a <laughs> I had a, a roommate. Not because, yeah. I had a roommate in college, and we locked him out of the computers in the room because he was like, you know, downloading too much stuff on them, and then the computers were going crazy. Mm. And so we locked him out, and so he knew he could see like all the password submissions. So he would just write these like long. He just do it slowly, like one part at a time, and he wrote these long messages about how mad he was at us. That's the end of my story. <laughs> so, speaking of moving things forward, what changes are you seeing in the field? More mixed methods. More mixed methods. More mixed methods. I would say a long-awaited uh, and much-needed this more discussion with relation to diversity and social justice issues. As most of us who know the history of social studies ed in our field, we are been behind the times, so it's been good over the last five, six years with some emerging scholars that have come out and helped create the research line on those issues, and I just think that's going to help the field, society, as well as move it forward, and um, you know, some of them are out in the audience now, or were, Chris Busey, LeGarrette King, I mean, a lot of these people are doing things that are needed, that we've been begging for, and then they're finally... A reality so it's pretty cool and I just think that's going to be a growing area of uh, interest in the field. And that's such an important issue because our history of our field is problematic you know we had a lot of scholars of color who are leaders on social justice issues and creating culturally responsive and relevant frameworks and things like that who left because they didn't feel support here in the 90s and so I think we're starting to build that up again but you can't take for granted if you don't support critical scholars who do difficult work they may not stay. I, I would act up Ken Oregon account on Journal of Social Studies, which I'm going to wave this again, speaking of diversity, ethnic studies, and indigenous <laughs> studies issue coming up, uh, submissions 
by December 31st, please. Um, anyway, in addition to diversity, which is exciting to see that we're moving in that direction, I think we're also, I'm seeing a lot more inquiry submissions as well. Yeah, yeah that's probably influenced by the C3, which had a number of inquiry episodes on the podcast. We're also seeing that more manuscripts are about social studies subjects other than history, Ooh. which is nice. Yeah. So Social studies, we're not just history anymore. That's right. Well, you, it used to be history and allied subjects is what, what the field used to be called. That's so, it. So Jessica, send some of those manuscripts our way because PRSC, that's one of the things, I don't know if this, I might be jumping ahead on you, but one of the things that I think we need to see more of are manuscripts related to economics and geography. And you know, we, we get a lot of history and civics, but not enough of the, the other disciplines. And with that in mind, what topics or groups do you think are being neglected in scholarship? Early childhood and elementary social studies from Cynthia Sunnell here. <laughs> My doctorate's in early childhood social studies, so I particularly am interested in that, although I actually have a couple degrees in other areas too, but, but I'm really interested in that because I think we lose the beginnings very often so you end up t talking to a middle school teacher who says, these kids have not had any social studies, you know. They think the Atlantic Ocean, West Virginia is on the Atlantic Ocean, you know, this kind of thing. Not? It's not, <laughs> no, no. It might want to be. <laughs> but, so I would think there's a whole piece there that we are missing. And if we're losing it, we're going to lose the field, is my opinion. Well, it used to kind of see it already in some ways, right? You see yeah. A, yeah. a lack of emphasis on social studies in the early grades, particularly, mm -hmm. at least that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. And because it's gotten to that point, I feel like we're often having to convince our teacher candidates who are going to teaching grades, you know, really, you can do social studies in kindergarten, yeah. meaningful lessons. And that's maybe because we haven't focused, put enough emphasis there. I just want to add to that, Cynthia. I th I'm so glad that you brought that up with early childhood. I think in general, there is a lack of st on student like throwing a grenade into the room here, but I think there's a, 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 a huge focus on the teacher mm -hmm. and on curriculum and kind of those things matter. But ultimately, I, I view myself and I think all of us here in this room view our job is to some extent to push the learning forward for K, P, K, 12 learners, right? I mean, ultimately when the rubber meets the road, it's about learning. And I think that we, as a field, could do a better job of developing studies, qualitative studies, mixed method studies, that quantitative studies, that focus a bit more on how and what students learn within and across the disciplines. Going back to inquiry real quick, I think that that is, that is the low-hanging fruit is around with the IDM and the C3 and what and how do students learn within that context. One issue I've thought about a lot is um, you think of intersections of social studies with other fields and I feel like there's been a lack of intersections with bilingual education, particularly with the number of students who are emergent bilinguals in our schools. And I see uh, places like uh, two-way dual immersion schools as being places, you know, I see that, that structure as being a very social justice oriented structure that honors students on their own terms where their languages are honored. And there's a lot of, I don't know if the right term is English normativity or dominance, 
um, in our schools that's very predominant, and I haven't seen that written about a lot, and maybe I've missed it, I don't know, but that's one area, and I know being in Texas, a lot of my colleagues have really influenced me to the importance of those issues. I think two areas that, that I've seen a lack of, well, first off, the, this, I guess this would be a third topic, but Paul years ago did a special issue on quantitative research in the field. I think that's always going to be just the nature of our field. It's not as quantitative as other fields. So I think that's always going to be an area of weakness for us. And I, when I mean quantitative, I mean, sure, it can be survey data and it can be, you know, your p-value and your ANOVAs, but there's a lot of other statistical research out there that most of us don't even get into. So I think that's an area. And, and surprisingly, I feel like I haven't seen as much international related research. Mm -hmm. Most of what is published in, in our journals, and I'm speaking for all of us and you can all, you know, throw me to the curb here, but it is very, you know, US centric and which is a large majority of our audiences. Uh, but I think all of ours, uh, many of ours also has an international focus as well, or at least an international readership that many are here. So I, I would say that's another area that I'm seeing a, a need for growth in. Kent again, Oregon Journal of Social Studies, as we're talking about diversity, one area that I, that I would like to see us look at more in social studies, I don't think we've unwrapped it up, I'm seeing it going on in Kukupa, is exploring whiteness and white privilege. I think we need, as social studies educators, I think we need to be doing reflection on that piece and how it's influenced the United States, how it's you know, settled with colonialism. I think those are some issues. I would say, too, just uh, that intersectionality, too, in regards to how differences sort of intersect, in regards to the power and privilege at play. And I would just sort of even echo what Bill had said in regards to global voices. I think there's a huge percentage of this world that's not being heard right now, and that one part of the world is speaking for the other part of the world. And one of the things that Desmond Tutu said as a quote, unlike any other time in the course of human history, the world's been called to act whether it's climate change, right? And these really important global issues that are being played out. And every day I wrestle with the fact in our social studies classrooms, are we preparing the citizens to be able to communicate across difference, across space in order to learn and in order to act? And I think that that's still for me a, a really important void in how do we do this better? And I think that brings up the point of environmental issues. I actually had that conversation earlier today that it seems to be still really missing environmental justice, sustainability issues. And I know uh, my mentor, Neil Hauser, wrote a piece in TRSC, I think in 2009, called about ecological democracy that talked about the anthropomorphism, the human-centeredness of everything we study, where we only look at it from that perspective, which is somewhat understandable, but also, I think, we, we, we could do a lot more because there's a lot of work being done in those areas and it seems to be urgent need for all of us. I wonder, this is Cynthia Sunnell again, I, let me put it this way, I also have a degree in physics. So oh, I, I, am, awesome. I am a forever student. <laughs> I like everything. But it, and in my department, which I see a couple of my people here, we have $12 million in National Science Foundation grants right now we have zip for social studies education. That's all science and math. And we've been trying to get a landmarks grant for about six years. We're used to rejection. And, but that maxes out at about 300,000. So 
We've mentioned inquiry here. We've got, we're coming off one project that spent six years working with all the physics teachers in the state and really looking at what they think inquiry is and how difficult it is for an expert teacher to really be an inquiry-oriented teacher, to not answer students' questions, to put up with students saying, well, she just asks a question when I ask a question because she doesn't know the answer. <laughs> You know, and it takes a couple of years before everybody begins to realize that, no, this is a whole different way of thinking. So I don't know what we can do or what our journals can do, but I think we are even under greater threat now in terms of not having access to the kind of funding that would allow us to do good long-term studies on inquiry, on diversity, and all these issues. I think we're we will be under more threat than we've been under, probably for that. But I don't know if anybody has any ideas of what journals can, or how we are reaching out further in this field. Okay. So, can you tell us about a recent favorite article, book, or chapter? Yeah, this is Scott Waring. I wouldn't actually say about it when it's upcoming. Such studies in the young learner, if you know about it historically, they typically needed to fit a theme for each issue. So I want to make sure everybody's very clear that it does not, no longer requires a, a, a need to fit the theme. But I'm just trying to win lots of points today. I, I am. Yeah. Uh, I like the clapping. Uh, yeah. Made my day. So I do have a guest edited issue every January, February, and Dr. Barbara Cruz at the University of South Florida guest edited the upcoming January, February issue on women's studies. So I'm really excited about that. She got some phenomenal submissions. And she's just a terrific individual and so much fun to work with. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that in print. So look forward to January, February issue with Women's Studies. I'll plug a forthcoming article as well by Harper Keenan. And I'll contextualize it by saying, since I've been editor and associate editor of TRSC, we've had hundreds of manuscripts. There have only been three that I've accepted with revisions on the first go-round. This was number three. And it was outstanding. It is about indigenous museums and elementary students and how they interact with the museums, which for me personally is nowhere close to my personal research interest, but I couldn't put it down. And that's rare for me to say for a TRC article. It was amazing. As the editor, it's hard, you know, they're, they're hard to get through. But this, this was a page turner and it's, uh, it should be up on the TRC website any, any day now. And it's, it's worth reading. I feel like we're getting like movie teasers yeah. on, the, on the new articles, it's exciting. Okay, so while we're teasing things, um, Sarah and I just posted the most recent issue of SSJ about 30 minutes before walking into this session. <laughs> we were really trying to get it out in time, and one of our favorite articles is the featured article Annalisa Halverson and Maribel Santiago published with two of their students, Eliana Castro and Alyssa Whitford. It's actually an elementary-focused piece, too. It's called Civic Life in the Neighborhood, Leveraging Historical Context to Teach Injustice in the Elementary Grades. And we're just really excited for you all to read it. It's great. We're big fans of Annalisa Halverson She's a friend on this of the podcast <laughs> and also Maribel Santiago. So we both guests on previous episodes. Other exciting exciting articles that you've had recently that are forthcoming? Um, well, again, Ken from Oregon Journal of Social Studies, and I, we've been doing this, I believe, for six years now, so I'll just say they are open access. Every single article is phenomenal. You should read it. <laughs> so I'm going to plug something forthcoming again that I keep telling you about our upcoming 
special issue. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Well, ethnic studies and indigenous, indigenous studies. studies. <laughs> and then the previous six years of articles, incredible. <laughs> You're going to get 600 submissions for this, this special you know issue when it's done now. We're willing to put 600 in. Okay, there we go. Hey, we have a promise. Let's let's hold them to that. Everyone write an indigenous and ethnic studies article. Let's see if Ken shows up next year or if he's buried behind a desk of article reviews. So other exciting things that, that have come out or that you've you've worked on or that are coming out? Well, for the teaching and learning social studies book series, there's a book on simulations. It's called More uh, Like Life Itself by Corey Wright. And it's a book on powerful and purposeful use of simulations. And, you know, it's pretty exciting for when we talk about things that teachers can read and utilize and that are powerful to have a book like that come out as someone who loves simulations and finds value in them. Uh, I'm excited about that and what the possibilities for the field and for the teachers and the readers. That's exciting. I feel like we often hear about simulations gone wrong. So it'll be great to have a book that shows us the ways you can do it effectively. I'm really excited. I know in our research and social education book series about like Garrett King's volume that's going to be published here. It's They're putting everything together right now on black history. And a lot of times, you know, we'll talk about black history here in the United States, what's visible, what's not visible. And what LeGarrett has done is really phenomenal in looking at kind of this global lens and how is black history taught in different countries for better, for worse. And I know one of the part, one of the chapters that really stands out for me is sort of um, the kind of the legacy of slavery in different countries and how it's taught, how it's not taught and the ramifications of that today. So I'm really excited to kind of get that out there for readers. Is there any audience members that have a question? I can walk a phone out to you. Or you can just you, come on up. Yeah, or if you want to come up, we just have to kind of speak into this. Does anybody have any uh, questions they would like to ask for? I can walk it to you. It's kind of intimidating yeah, to true. walk up to the, the table. So now I'm walking with the mic. This is a first in podcast history. <laughs> yeah. uh, physical movement, kinesthetic, different ways of, of pod, podcasting, right? Uh, anybody have a question? I know you guys already touched on the subject a little bit, and you're excited about the increasing amount of diversity in what people are writing about and authors, but I'm just wondering if there are any statements in your, or any like commitments that you have on like a systems level of producing more anti-racist, anti-sexist, or, or just general critical issue So when I became editor of TRC, I wrote uh, from the editor piece that got put in, and, and we called for manuscripts that speak exactly to what you're, you're talking about there. Now, just because I want it doesn't mean the manuscripts come in, right? So, but yeah, you know, we're we're hopeful. We we put out a public statement, hope you know, asking for for manuscripts on certain topics that fit within that thing that you're asking for, and. So I'm not going to say that manuscripts that, that come in with that topic have a better chance of getting accepted because the work's still got to be good. That's the that's the bottom line. I mean, it's still got to be solid, you know, at least for TRC, empirical, you know, empirical work. And but yeah, that's we do want that. At least I, for me personally, for TRC. Um, for JSSR, as far as systematically, I, I think the most systematic process that we have would be the selection of special issues on those topics, which we've had JB Mayo edit one. 
uh, Laguerre King's doing one, and we have two or three that are in the works. And when I say two or three in the works, I mean we have possible guest editors to coordinate and move forward with those in the near future. And when I say near future, that would be two to five years, because putting together a special issue, it doesn't happen overnight. The whole process easily will take a year, because the research has got to be there, and then the reviews have to go there. And then, you know, we publish four issues a year, so it's got to fall within one of those. So I would say that's about as systematic of a, a position that we have. And then we hope that the field understands the need and is smart enough to get the research done. So it is a little bit of hope, too. So you're hoping, and then you're also putting systems in place. So it's a little bit of both. Um, in Oregon, can't again. In Oregon, we're um, really, we're largely um, going with what the Oregon Department of Education, what their mandates are, and they have a mandate for diversity right now. But also, as I'm sitting here thinking about this, and your viewers can't see this, this is a podcast, but we all have a commonality here of race, of, of the editors. So we, I mean, have a particular lens we're, look, we're obviously looking through, which is another reason why I would say I, I welcome, and I, I know others up here that said so as well, inquiries on ideas of, that you have for special issues because you, know, you have the ideas. I think and a point to that is, you know, the journals don't exist on their own. They exist within our scholarly community. And so the fact that we have a conference where a lot of critical work is done, that's a lot because we had a, a, a person of color, a scholar of color, who helped to organize this conference, who does critical work himself, and Chris Busey this year, Sarah Shear did, did that the year before. And so those things make a difference, and I think it makes a difference all around. So we kind of have an ecosystem of scholarship, and if we support it in other areas, I think it hopefully can make it into our journals and continue to change things in our field. All right, so panelists, thank you so much for joining us today. If we can give them a round of applause. At the Vision of Education podcast, we are all about sharing and learning. If you're doing something fun, creative in education, or you just want to chat, tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts Stitcher, yeah. and anywhere you'd like us to be. And if you leave us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. We really appreciate those. That actually helps people find the podcast. In fact, everyone in the room, if you got out your Actually, Apple they're doing it right now. Right now, if you got out your phone, went to Apple Podcasts, and you go to the Visions of Education podcast, you just go down, click five stars. That actually helps it show up in the algorithm so other educators who are looking for education podcasts would actually find this one. So that's why we tell people to do that because it makes it worth the time for all of our guests in our community that come on, and that's why we always say that at the end of our episodes. And it also fills up my fridge because I yeah. cut them out and I put it up there. <laughs> yeah. So. Please. Anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and so you, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Pretka. And I'm at 42 Thinky. And until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing, Signing off. off. Yay. Yeah. Yeah.